What a pleasure it is of mine to be able to step into this pulpit and preach following the praises of the people. It's so good. It's easy sometimes to ride that wave of worship into His Word. Today I want to flip the script a little bit. Not so that we dismiss the idea of worshiping and then finding truth in the Word, but to suggest to us that finding truth in the Word leads us into worship. We're in a series entitled Sound Doctrine, and if you haven't been here for the previous Sundays, I would encourage you to check out our website, and you can find the sermons there where you can download and listen to them. And it brings us to today, and sound doctrine is for worship. Sound doctrine leads us in worship. Heaven gained another great worshiper this week. Thank you, church, for your prayers for my family and I in this past week as we lost my Uncle Tank. God is sovereign in all His ways, and though it was so sudden, we trust that God knows best. The closet gospel singer that was my Uncle Tink, and a good one at that, went to be with the one that he loved to sing about on Thursday afternoon. We would appreciate your prayers in this coming week as we celebrate his life and as we begin to make sense of the following days. But he understood what worship was. And we, hopefully, By the end of today, we'll understand how doctrine influences our worship. If you have your Bible, take and turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me. Colossians, it's a little itty-bitty book right there in the middle of Paul's writings. Almost to the end of the Bible. It's page 773 in my book. I don't know if that helps you or not. Colossians chapter 3, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. This verse, these verses, have founded any ministry that I've ever done in leading worship. I want to read them to you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has also forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your ear, in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Him. Let's pray together. Father, we we have enjoyed worship. 
this morning. God, I pray that now you would allow us to enjoy your word. That it would be as sweet honey on our lips. God, I pray that you would inhabit our praises. That you would run through our minds, that you would capture our hearts in this moment. God, may your words speak to us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Sound doctrine is the glue of true worship. What or who are we worshiping? Why are we worshiping? How do we worship? When do we worship? These are all questions that are answered through sound doctrine. Who do we worship? Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 says, And day and night the creatures never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. How do we worship? Revelation 4, 9 through 10 says this, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. Why do we worship? Revelation 4, 11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You see, doctrine informs our worship. When do we worship? Now and forevermore, as John the Revelator said. A side note, Revelation The book itself, the last one in our Bible, it's a prep book on worship. It's not something to be fearful of or uncomfortable with, but rather to study with great anticipation at the coming worship celebration that we will experience. When Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and every knee is bowed and every tongue confesses, all creation proclaims with a loud voice that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah that we have the sweet privilege to worship such an awe-inspiring Savior. I've spent many years leading in worship, even back into my teens. And I'm sure that Melissa, who has led people in worship for decades, will agree with me that not all groups experience true worship, no matter how simple we make it for them. I want to tell you that I can go to just about any concert and see more expression out of a bunch of lost people than I will see out of the blood-bought people of God in the local church. Excuse me, church, if I get a little excited at the fact that I was a sinner dead in my trespasses with no hope within myself of ever reaching eternity and experiencing the sweet presence of Jesus. Yet in God's loving kindness, His infinite mercy and His matchless grace, He chose me for His own. His Son Jesus died for my sins and He rose again that I may have eternal life. I'm sorry if I raise my hands or fall to my knees to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 
Church, it's time for us to stop acting like employees in an office training seminar with our sour faces and our uninterested attitudes and start worshiping like the people of God. And what would draw us into that kind of desire to worship? I'm glad you asked. If worship is what we are called to for eternity, then we should be doctrinally correct in it. Here are four things that sound doctrine will do to our worship. If you have your bulletin, the notes are right there on the back. First, sound doctrine instructs our worship. Sound doctrine instructs our worship. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then. This is interesting. When, when Paul is writing this book to the church at Colossae, the one thing that he keeps referencing and going back to is this idea of putting on and taking off. It's this idea within him of, of showing the garments coming off and coming back on. And in his admonition in worship here, he says, put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. You see, sound doctrine begins to tell us the manner in which we should worship. You should put on kind hearts. Oh, that our church would be full of kind hearts. We should put on kindness and humility. Oh, that every pew would have those in them. That's a right church. That's a church that's doing worship correctly. Here's the top ten ways you know you're in the wrong church. You are in the wrong church... If the church has gun racks, you can laugh, it's okay, I promise. You are in the wrong church if the church staff consists of senior pastor, associate pastor, and sociopastor. That's one of my favorites, I'm sorry. You might be in the wrong church if the Bible they use is the Dr. Seuss version. Otherwise known as the message going on. You might be in the wrong church if there's an ATM in the lobby. You might be in the wrong church if the choir wears leather robes. You might be in the wrong church if services are BYOS. Bring your own snake. Is that too real for some of you guys? Goodness gracious. You might be in the wrong church if there is no cover charge, but communion is a two-drink minimum. You might be in the wrong church if there is karaoke worship time. Melissa, can we put that in? No? Okay. You might be in the wrong church if ushers ask, smoking or non-smoking? I've been in a church like that. Finally, you might be in the wrong church if the only song the organist knows is In Agata Davida. Some of you young kids can go Google that song later on. 
We know what wrong church looks like. And although these are funny, we know what a church who doesn't worship looks like, don't we? We know what a church who doesn't worship correctly looks like. It's funny how different worship services can be around the world and how different they can also be even around our community. But the binding agent in our worship should be the doctrine from which we worship. Just as an example, let's talk about something that the Baptist churches skirt around quite often. Yet it is a doctrinal part of worship where there is gifting available. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28 says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one in to, to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. This is a major example, but a very relevant one when discussing how doctrine instructs our worship. Listen, speaking in tongues is in the Bible as part of worship. Don't try to tell me that it's not of God because it is. You can tell me all day and I will agree with you though that it is only part of worship when it is done right. And the same can be said for music. The same can be said for prayer. The same can be said for prophecy and testimony. When we are not instructed correctly by doctrine, our worship is wrong. When we are not digging into His Word to seek how we ought to worship, then any attempt at worship is wrong. Here's some questions to ask yourself about your worship that will help you govern whether or not you are in sound doctrine while you worship. First, is this God glorifying? If a song that is being sung or if an action that is taking place from this stage or in the pew, if it is not God glorifying, it is not worthy to be part of worship. You're blessed, church. You're blessed to have a worship leader that considers this question first. I've been in churches where it's not that way. And you're blessed. Second, is this a stumbling block? Is the song in which I sing, is the manner in which I sing it or play it, is my actions in the pew, whether raising hands or bowing on my knees or dancing, is this a stumbling block? If the answer is yes to that question, then you ought not to do it. I would hate to take the words of Jesus that said, do not be a stumbling block. And have to work those over in my life of worship. Thirdly, is this relevant? One of the great things about worship is that it is not only just a physical experience, but it is also an emotional and a spiritual experience at the same time. 
when I, said, when I asked that question, is this relevant, this is the idea and the understanding behind it. We're called to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, that is part of worship. I want to tell you that when someone is down and feeling low, the last thing they probably want to hear is some giddy-up tune that doesn't really relate to them. The last thing that somebody wants to hear whenever they are on the high of spirituality, whenever they are as close to God as they can be and their heart is so joyful, is a song of mourning and a song of despair. There's been countless studies done on what music can do to the soul. Church, we ought to remind ourselves of that as we worship. Those are three questions that we must ask if we are determined to determine if sound doctrine is instructing our worship. Secondly, sound doctrine inspires our worship. It inspires our worship. Look at verse 14 in Colossians chapter 3. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. If we truly understand that which we are worshiping, if we truly understand the God who we are called to worship, if we truly understand even the manner in which we should worship, it inspires us to worship. It breeds a longing and a desire in our hearts to worship. You know that feeling. It's that feeling whenever you met your wife or you met your husband. That desire of knowing who they are and how they care about you that you want to spend every waking moment with them. It's that longing That when we truly understand who God is and what He's done for us, all we want to do is spend time praising His name, lifting it up, exalting the God who is on the throne. It inspires our worship. I was was drawn to this text as we were singing that last song, Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith goes on in verse 25 not neglecting to meet with one another why do we come to this place not because it's part of our routine not because of it's part of our life but because we understand the God in whom we have full assurance 
of His sacrifice, of His love, and of His forgiveness in our hearts. It inspires us and draws us to this place. I would challenge you, if you wake up on Sunday mornings and you're not inspired to go worship, have you forgotten who this God is and what He's done for you? Guys, Sunday mornings, worshiping with God's people, it's one of my favorite times during the week. Not because I get to get up here and ramble off a bunch of words and hope that through this frail man that God speaks His word. No. It's because I get to sit with the people of God and stand with the people of God and raise my hands with the people of God in worship of who God is and what He's done for us. Not just what He's done for me, but what He's done for you. I'm thankful, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, be thankful in all these things. You know, in the, uh, in the cold Baltic air, there were a few interesting airplane rides in my trip to Latvia. And when we got on the plane in Latvia to come home, I was almost certain that the pilot was easily younger than 18 years old. I got really close to Jesus on that plane ride, I'll tell you that. Nevertheless, we landed safely. Not gently, but we did land safely at our next destination. And I was reminded in that moment of this saying, any plane landing you walk away from was a good one. You know, I believe that the same can be said. Any worship service you walk away from was a good service. Any opportunity that you had to be with the people of God and worship the God of the universe is a good opportunity. Sound doctrine inspires our worship. Third, sound doctrine informs our worship. I don't want to spend too much time here because it should be so simple for us. But Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul, as the intro to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, puts the words, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. When we are truly seeking after God, when we are truly experiencing His Word, this is what I was talking about flipping the script, when we are truly being filled by the Spirit daily on His Word, it leads us to worship. It informs our worship. It gives us the information with which to worship. I always thought it so funny because when I was in student ministry for many years, I'd have students help to lead worship. And there were many songs that we would come to, especially back when, you know, Charlie Hall was writing a whole bunch of songs. There was a lot of songs that we'd come to that the title of the song was literally like 
Psalm 40. And I'd get with the praise band and tell them the songs for the next week, and they'd look at it and they'd be like, why is there a Bible, why is there a Bible verse on here? DJ, you've lost your mind. And then I'd give them music that had the Bible verse with chords on it, and they'd be like, oh goodness, DJ's went and written a whole new song or something. But they were amazed that even Scripture itself could be sung in a way that was worship. By the way, you ought to do some research. You ought to go Google a little bit on famous songs that are written out of Scripture. It surprise you. It informs our worship. It tells us what and how and where and why. It tells us the who of worship. God is spirit. Mark chapter 4, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Sound doctrine informs our worship. Lastly, sound doctrine invokes our worship. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Romans 12 tells us this. I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul in Romans took the script and flipped it at once more. He said, not only will you go to the place of God and sing the songs to God, Worship Him out of the overflow and the emptiness of your heart. But also, every moment of every day should be lived in worship. Our lives should look like worship. When we get to heaven, we should not be surprised about any of the proceedings that we find there. In fact, we should be, have a welcomed spirit, a familiar spirit with those that sit around the throne and bow before Him and cast their crowns and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That should be common for us. Because if we truly understand this, we can't help but worship. We've missed it in the church a little bit. We've spent so much time trying to do a whole bunch of stuff. And we've forgotten to worship. A.W. Tozer said this, we're here to be worshipers first and workers only second. We take a convert and immediately make a worker out of him. But God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper. And after that, he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. 
Christian, follower of Jesus, are you working so much that you forget to worship? I know what it's like on a Sunday, especially for those of us who lead. I know what it's like on a Sunday. You show up, you've got a million things to do just to get ready for your Sunday school class. You've already been at home trying to get your family together to get to church. And we come and we rush in the doors, often a few minutes late. And we come into a class and we sit there and we, we talk about the lesson that we've prepared over. And then we know that time is ticking away, so we've got to wrap it up. We've got to close it up. And, and we walk into a sanctuary where we meet with a few different people and we discuss a few things that happened during the week. And maybe it's something that happened in business. Maybe it's something that happened with our children. But our minds immediately flow to that which has been working on us and that we are working for. And all of a sudden, there's a man standing up there who greets and welcomes folks and All of a sudden, Melissa begins singing and we're caught in this moment where we're trying to train our mind to say, gosh, I really need to pay attention. I really want to worship God. I have so much. But our mind just keeps flooding with the things that have to be done, not only later the week, but even later in that day. By the time the preacher has stepped up to preach, we have forgotten to worship. I challenge you with something. Let work flow out of your worship. Not worship out of your work. Because the former will reap benefits beyond this life. And the latter will drain you faster than you could possibly imagine. Let's understand who God is. Let's let His Word instruct our worship. The blood of Jesus, let it inspire our worship. The truth of who He is, let it inform our worship. But more than anything, church, let it invoke worship in us. Let us glorify Jesus in all that we say and do. That, that is what true worship is. Let's pray together. By way of invitation, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to say a word of prayer and then I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to sing and we're going to worship. Knowing whom we worship. Letting the blood of Jesus inspire us. During that time, there's an invitation. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot worship Him. It is literally impossible for you to do such. But can I tell you something? 
He is worthy of worship. And though you cannot now, in not knowing Him, one day, if you never come into relationship with Him, you will still bow. You'll take a knee and confess that He is the Lord of all the ages. I want to tell you, don't wait for that moment. That's going to be too late. Take the moment today, the invitation of Jesus today, to come and be made whole, to come and be made new, be made right by His blood. He died on a cross for your sins, rose so that you could have eternal life. That whoever called on the name of the Lord would be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that He's Lord, and believe in your heart that He's been raised, you would be saved. Come take this preacher by the hand and say, I want to be saved today. Christian, you might need to come to this altar and spend some time praying. Christian, you might need to spend some time worshiping as they sing. Take the time. Let the Spirit work in your heart, move in your heart. Father God, I pray that you would teach us how to worship. God, that you would move us, move our hearts in worship. God, for your glory. May we truly grasp who you are and in return, worship with all that we are. Not only here, but in our lives. In the everyday moments that we would do all in the name of Jesus. Giving our lives as worship. God, may you be glorified in our lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Would you?